The thing is not how you are on your best days, how can you step up on your worst day? What's your, when everything is going terrible, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're edgy, how do you treat other people? Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Jimmy! A surprise visit from our old pal Duncan Trussell as he ponders a return to Los Angeles. It's a great chat wandering far and wide, from playing with fireworks as a child to the joy of having children, which does not mean that it is easy. Free speech is a good, healthy thing, but it does not protect you from reactions to your opinions. Along with a listen to Isabella's Bella Chow. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast. Like a total surprise out of the sky, a Duncan Trussell bonus episode. Yes. Now, I was listening to the DTFH. You know, speaking of that, you know, that's the children's choir. Oh, yeah. The Jonestown Children's Choir is the intro music, yes. My wife, being of that same sick mindset, got yeah. herself a coffee cup the other day with Jim Jones and balls it on it with the little line, drink up. Wow, Jesus. <laughs> on that note, I think I actually I'm going to do an episode for History on Fire on uh, Jonestown, which is interesting because um, Daryl Cooper and Martha Maida did a 31-hour series on the topic. It's broken down in, I think, eight episodes or something, but, like, the finale is eight hours. There's all these, like, it, it really goes... Uh, there are entire episodes where he doesn't even talk about Jim Jones because it's kind of laying just the cultural context of the civil rights movement and things like that. Right. So it's uh, so it's sort of funny for me to choose to cover the same topic in probably an hour and a half to two hours, just do the super quick version of what he did, super in-depth. What but did I it come down it to? When be... push came to shove, did most people just drink up? Or I know there's talk of people being shot and sure. forced to do it, sure. and, you know, the kids and things like that was a whole yeah. different thing, but the majority of them probably just yeah. Yeah. drank it. Yeah, I mean, by the time you got to that place... Uh, yeah, I think you go along with pretty much anything for a lot of people. Wow. Not everybody, of course. There were people... Uh, there's one story that uh, Daryl mentioned that's really powerful where they are... Jim Jones' wife is actually protesting against the whole thing. She's against it. And um, and some of Jim Jones' henchmen stop her. This, by the way, in case you have no idea, Google Jim Jones' Jonestown because it's one of those super famous historical events one of the biggest mass suicides ever it's really big deal and so she's protesting against the whole thing and some of uh, his henchmen kind of go to restrain her and stop her and one guy because you know she was seen pretty much as a saint by everybody so one of the guys instead is pushing everybody away from her and just kind of defending her 
And Jim Jones say, what the hell are you doing? Now, and the guy stops in his track, turns to Jim Jones, like in ready position. And he's like, drink that poison right now. And the guy just goes in, dumps the cup and dies. And this was a guy who was stepping in to stop the whole thing from happening. And the second Jim Jones gave the word, he just stopped and went. He had him. It's uh, it's really like a scene from uh, Conan. Remember when there's Tol Saddam looking at the lady like, <laughs> "Come to me," and the lady hop off a, uh, off a mountain. To it's yeah, it's in, it's really scary. The power that uh, dictators, cult leaders, the power. It, it's really that's why I think it, to me is a fascinating topic. And despite the Daryl's thirty-one hour on marathon, I think I can give a slightly different take on it and. Uh, think it could be fun but in any case speaking of duncan back to business yes <laughs> duncan man it's crazy he has been our very first guest episode one of the drunken taoist was with duncan uh he has been on i forgot how many times but it must be like 10 times by now or something easily yeah and um I calculated the other day. I think I've been on uh, Duncan's podcast 20 times or something ridiculous like that. So if you add up all the podcasts done, it would add up. You probably could travel from coast to coast listening to uh, Duncan's chats. So in any case, today we add to that body of work with another conversation with the epic Duncan Trussell, who's returning to California after leaving two winters back in the back in the east yeah he decided that's not for him anymore so um, <laughs> but yeah is uh, as usual with duncan never a boring moment always fun conversations but before we get to that let's say a couple of quick uh, let's give a couple of quick shout outs of course to sure design for always being in our corner and having the softest most wonderful t-shirts on the planet and speaking of duncan if you google sure design commercials duncan trussell they are some of the funniest thing in the universe you should really there's somebody put them all together in a youtube video that's like hours long it's it's a comedy album basically you guys <laughs> should check it out Thank you to grasslandbeef.com for providing us with fantastic food. If you live in the U.S., is check out the website, see if there's anything that you regularly buy that it's something that you're interested in. Maybe you want to try their version rather than the grocery store version, and I think you'll appreciate the quality difference. Man, I got home last night to a grassland beef roast that had been in the crock pot for hours. We sliced it up into some killer French dip sammies. Yikes! Sweet. It really is great stuff. So check them out at grasslandbeef.com. We should say thank you to Daisy House for the intro music. That's epic. The Drunken Taoist team always deeply appreciated. Uh, you know it's time for the show when it gets here. Excellent. Let the pottering begin. We want to say thank you to Mike Allen, Ed and Carrie O, Samuel Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, Froggy Style Production, Joseph Lord, Stephen Redos, Justin Howell, Donald Chip Witten, Lane Raper, Luis Pesquera, Yanni Linima, Jesse Rantakangas, and Kevin Kilbride. Nice. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much for supporting. If you want to join this brave band of heroes. I dare you to. Yes, that would be nice. PayPal.me forward slash Dibolelli, or you can use my email, which is uh, bodhi1974 at yahoo.com. Again, bodhi1974 at yahoo.com. Insert gong here. Tong.
Now, we must discuss Daniele Bellelli's stage father. Yes, I am planning on retiring and uh, sitting back. I'll collect the checks from my villa in Hawaii or wherever the hell I get to move being a fence. No, so Isabella did a pretty kick-ass thing. We may have mentioned it at somewhere in the episode. I'm sure we did. uh, (laughs) Maybe we'll get, but we are recording this a little bit later when we actually have a link to the thing. So I'll put the link, the YouTube link in the episode notes. And uh, and here we're actually going to give you a sample. Actually, not even a sample. We put the whole song of her. She's essentially, the way the genesis of this whole thing was that about a year ago, I was talking with Ulysses Bella from the fantastic Grammy-winning band Ozomatli. If you guys haven't checked out Ozomatli, you're missing out because they are epic. I love their music. Great live band, great just listen to band, great band all around. In any case, I was talking to you, Lisses, about this song, traditional Italian song from World War II, Bella Ciao. It has no copyright, of course, because it's an old traditional song that has been covered by everybody or their grandmother, because it's very, it's, it's a great tune. It's has been covered in anything from reggae version to punk version to hard rock to anything you can think of. And uh, Ulysses had heard Isabella's voice and he was like, holy shit, she's pretty damn good. And he liked the story, the idea, the the fact that, um, you know, my grandma had been a combat partisan in World War II. My, on on the other side, like on my, I guess he would be my grandfather-in-law. The father of my mom's husband is uh, was the guy who he was the head of this partisan group who uh, stopped Mussolini escaping from Italy and arrested him. So kind of you know there's a big tradition in that department with the whole partisan story. So he liked the idea of having his who has a pretty damn good voice sing something that's tied to family history because the whole uh, song is about partisans in World War Two. So you work on it, he arranged it beautiful, I must say. He was a little turned off by listening to some of versions out there that are very like upbeat and cheerful. He's like, this is a song about people who are more likely than not going to die fighting the Nazis. It's not a party upbeat, you know, there's a gravitas to it that he wanted to put in I, there. If you put a beat to it though, yeah. you know, just sort of, <laughs> I'm gonna kill some fascists. Yeah. <laughs> So he was like that, that, taking it a little more in a more <laughs> intense direction, which fit perfectly with what he's wanted. So they worked together, got in studio, and this little piece of magic came out. So if you guys, uh, there are way worse ways to spend three minutes of your life than checking this out, because this is a hell of a song. Mi sento di 
Milano. Oh, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 se muoio da partigiano. Ciao, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, 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 seppellire la su montagna sotto l'ombra d'un bel fiore e le genti che passeranno. Oh, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, 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 e le genti. Passeranno, mi diranno che bel fiore, questo il fiore, il partigiano, oh, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e questo il fiore del partigiano, molto bella. You have to be my counselor today. I have a moral oh. dilemma. No, not moral. I have a dilemma. I don't know All exactly right. how I feel about stuff. This is a big discussion. This is not some dumb Will Smith thing specific. I don't care about that specifics of the story. I, it's more about sort of the boundaries between on one end, free speech slash comedy. On the other end, a whole concept of cancel culture, but also accountability for what one says. Uh, I'll give you the short version of my dilemma. Uh, the short version is okay. this. Uh, on one end, of course, I think, I, I almost feel it doesn't even have to be said, but maybe it does. Free speech is a good, healthy thing. I like it. Okay. I do not want laws to limit it. I think we are all on board there. Yes. I've also grown up in an environment where uh, the whole idea that, oh, it's just words did not exist. You know, if you talk shit, you expect somebody to cut your throat with a beer bottle. And it doesn't mean that you say, oh, by the way, I was joking. It's like, well, you should read the room of who's yeah. going to cut your throat with a beer bottle and who isn't. And he was expected. He wasn't like a strange thing. It's like, that's just how it is. So I feel conflicted because on one hand, I hate the... Oh, I'm offended. We should uh, eliminate anything that I personally don't find funny or I personally disagree with. Yeah. On the other hand, to me, that's the way the world has always worked, which is like if somebody thinks that what you say is uh, evil or dumb or terrible, they will boycott you. If somebody thinks that... You see where I'm going? Sure. It's like there, there's a clash there between, on one end, of course, free speech. Of course, getting offended at every little thing is dumb. On the other end, I do see the point of the fact that there's usually a response to what one doesn't say, and we shouldn't exactly be surprised over it. You know, like right now, I'm saying this, right. like yeah. a police siren in the background coming to get me. It's it's expected. I understand it. You know, 
No, but you know what I mean? It's like, so I'm not sure... I'm not sure what the boundaries are. I'm not sure, more than the boundaries, I'm not sure how I feel, you know, because I can switch from one to the other, uh, seeing a logic in both positions. Right. So I come to Guru Trussell to your, give me the light. Well, I, I, is this something specific, like someone has like talked shit about you or something and you're no, trying to figure out how no, to respond no, to it? No, no, it's absolutely not. So you're, you're just saying in g- Yeah, in general. Uh, look, there's already laws. There's right. laws. There, there's already laws r- around this sort of thing. There's already laws around libel, slander. There's already laws in place designed to um, protect people from be having their reputation fucked up by other people well, lying about them. And the laws do state that if it's just if someone says this is my opinion, yeah, that's not libel. They're saying uh-huh. this is my opinion. My opinion is this person is like a fucking asshole. You can't sue somebody just because they are opinion. That's what they think. They think you're a fucking asshole. And you can't censor them for that. The laws are in place. Mm-hmm. But if somebody says you're a fu- if somebody says you're a fucking asshole and, or you know or if you like, you know, forget that like there's people buying the accounts you're attacking and you get unlucky because you're an idiot and you attack some lunatic or someone who's having a fucking bad day, then you know, yeah, it's like I think a, a lot of people get into trouble because they 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 imagine there's more protections between them and people online than there actually is, and in that they get all. I mean, it's a classic idiot's problem. It's a fool's problem, you know. And so, yeah, shit rains down from the sky sometimes on on people who who aren't thinking about what they're saying. This is just the way it's been right. forever. What you do you know? think in terms of comedy? As far as comedy. Yeah. I mean, you have to be able, the problem with, like... I guess where I'm going is some people are complaining about the fact that they feel, oh, you can't make a joke anymore because otherwise everybody's going to be on your ass. Uh, I have to watch everything I say because otherwise it's offensive. I I don't feel that way, but I understand the position. I'm curious as, uh, especially you being a comedian, I would like to get your vibe on it all. God, well, I mean, see, I have... When in the early, like a lot of comics go through an edgelord phase where you just want to get any kind of reaction from the audience. Right. And if you're lazy or whatever, you can confuse that reaction as being somehow like a result of some brilliant thing you said when really all you did was make people in the audience sad because right. you said some shitty thing or like you didn't think about it. Um, I think ultimately the responsibility falls on the performer. When you get on stage and say anything, you know, it's you, you, whatever the effect or the, you know, it's like uh, comedians are a little bit like they can go through a phase where, that is very similar to when we were kids and realize that you could like ignite gasoline. That's like a huge fucking moment, man. When you like, like, you know what I, you know, or you, you read the anarchist cookbook or whatever and you're like, fuck, I'm going to mix if you mix gas with soap or you can make a Molotov cocktail, your parents aren't there. You got a fucking lighter and some gas and you're just like, you know, here's, here's what, here's what it is. I, when I was a kid, uh, my dad would take us to blow up fireworks. It was so fucking fun. And after one of these fireworks trips on the 4th of July, he had this incredible bag full of fireworks that he left in the closet. And he said to me, you will not touch those fucking... He knew I knew where everything was. And I was like, you won't touch the fireworks. Don't touch the fireworks. We'll blow them up in a safe spot, whatever. So as soon as he's at work, I'm like, yeah, I'll just do 
one firework. What's yeah. the big deal? He's gone. It'll be fun. I'm bored. I'm at this stupid apartment. So I go outside with this bag of fireworks, light one firework. I truly intended that. The firework spins up into the air and lands in the bag of fireworks, igniting the bag. And it was the most incredible thing to see a bag of fireworks explode. And then, and it was beautiful. I will, it was beautiful. Like I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to be in trouble, but holy shit, look at that. And then I hear it, the crackling of fire. I've set a field on fire. And so I got lucky. There was a, uh, an off duty fire fireman went by you know, I was running into the house screaming, doing like like getting chunks of water and pouring it on a wildfire. And the an off-duty fireman comes. He has a blanket. He puts the fucking fire out. My dad, it was, now I know the look on his face. Because the look on his face was trying not to laugh. Because it's like, he was like pissed. But also he knows he's got to act really mad. Right. But like, he also thinks it's funny. And, but, um, anyway. So I think like comedians go through that phase, but they're not yeah. using fireworks, they're using words. Mm-hmm. And the and, and and every once in a while, like those words get out get they go too far. And then people get confused because they don't understand comedy. They don't know that like you're dealing with like a, a kind of crazy al- linguistic alchemist who's just trying to learn mm-hmm. how to not be afraid on stage and stay say shit or who's being lazy or whatever the thing may be. In general, there's a massive difference between some edgelord on stage saying some bigoted, shitty thing, you know, once versus like some, you know, an actual dyed in the wool, authentic, hardcore, malicious racist. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's not. You know what I mean? And like it's, it, but again, it, you know, being able to differentiate these is, is really like, you know up to the audience and it's if you know it's so i so i think like in general comedians do need spaces where they can experiment with words but also as a comedian you 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 know you you have to kind of expect the expect like the worst Mm -hmm. you know like unfortunately you know and and so yeah i don't i mean i but yeah obviously like destroying a person's life right over a shitty joke well that's not clearly that's like uh that's you don't need to do that you know there's there there's more dangerous things that you could like take on than like some fucking and also let me just say this quite often in fact 100 percent of the time a lot of these comedians that are bitching about getting in trouble the joke wasn't funny Right. You know what I mean? You hear the joke and it's like, that's not really, that's the problem here is not just what you did. Mm -hmm. It's that you didn't make it funny. Yeah. So like in that, when those two things connect, that's where, you you know, you know, you get, you get into trouble for sure. And and one of my least favorite things to see a comedian do, one of the craziest things you'll see a comedian do is when they go, I know you want to laugh but you're afraid to laugh. Some version of that. It's like, shut the right. fuck up. No one's afraid to laugh. And there's no way to stop yourself from laughing when you want to laugh. That just right. makes you laugh harder. So shut right. the fuck up. Your yeah. joke wasn't funny. That's yeah. why no one's laughing. They're not, no one's like looking around like, oh, can I laugh? I don't know. I would have not. I hope people don't see me laugh at this shit joke. Right. You know, usually it's more a lack of artistry and delivery yeah. of the thing. 
you know. Yeah, because that seems to be sometimes the substitute for actually being funny. Is uh, I'm gonna say some awful, over the top, uh, mean things, and if yes. you don't laugh, that means you're yes. censoring me because I'm uh, such a brilliant comedian. And so the only reason why you don't go with it is because you are uh, just a mean, uptight, easily offended person. And if actually the fact exactly. that you get offended proves how funny I am because I managed to push your buttons. And to me, it's like. What the fuck are we, yeah. Junior or something? Is like, that's not even comedy to me. And don't get me wrong, I like things. You know, if I watch, uh, I rewatch uh, recently Borat, and I forgot how fucking over the top it is, right? Some of the jokes are like, yeah, I can't it's crazy. It, but crazy. It's hilarious. You know what I mean? It's like you're dying laughing at this absolutely awful yeah. because it's actually funny. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people, it feels it's, just lazy. It feels just this. Uh, right. Is it even comedy or are you just like some 12-year-old bully? It's part of comedy. It, it's part yeah. of it. It's, it's the development phase. It's the development phase of comedy. Like, you know, it's like, the, like a, as a comedian evolves, there's a lot of different paths they can go down that are not good. You mm -hmm. can go down the path of imitation. I don't mean joke that thief thievery, but I mean like you can become too influenced by your love for some co specific comedian, yeah. and then that form influences the way you deliver jokes. So sometimes Mitzi would like see comedians and be like, ah, he's doing Seinfeld. You know what I mean? Or like she would see yeah. the character that you end up doing an impersonation of someone else. This is a byproduct usually of like, you know, hanging around with like comedians you they can actually accidentally get into you a little bit that's one of the sand traps another sand trap i is uh you try to imagine what you become like a weird like you, you stop being a comedian you become like someone trying to sell something at target so mm -hmm. you're like thinking about what the audience wants and trying to deliver to you pander so yep. that's another early mistake comedians make is they're learning how to become themselves on stage and then the edgelord thing mm -hmm. is a very natural thing because all of uh, the bottom line is it sucks to fucking write man it's hard to write jokes yeah but it, yeah. you really you need to spend time working on your jokes because those like for sure 100 percent of the time when i'm on stage the jokes that i've spent time beating out versus the ones i'm trying to invent on stage are generally funnier sometimes yeah. not that's a pleasant surprise so, but it sucks to write. It makes you feel empty and scared. It's like, ah, it's a pain. And you're like, I don't know. So people in, in lieu of that, they'll like edgelord. Yeah, that's yeah that makes sense. That but makes again, sense. It, like, but as a comedian, I guess we can't expect like audiences to know the, that, to know that it's like, oh, this is a comedian who is just trying to like shock people, but, or it's a comedian who's super depressed, hasn't been writing for seven years. All that's left is like making the audience uh, unhappy or, <laughs> or freaked out. It's like, you know, it's yeah. the problem is that you remove that period of growth or the possibility to at least try lighting the gasoline and see what fucking happens. Mm -hmm. See how bad you bomb. Because it's one thing to bomb sure. with jokes that you thought were funny and they're not or you haven't developed them enough. It's an entirely different thing to bomb by hurting the audience's feeling they got fucking babysitters you know what i mean you're not you're not being funny you're just up there being mean to people who like like buy drinks and wanted to have right. a nice date and you're yeah. on stage like fucking like in a non-funny way assaulting someone's date and they like maybe it's the first date they've been on since the fucking pandemic and they were like yeah i love comedy i want you to think i'm funny
And then their date is being assaulted verbally for no reason. And then you're like, I know. Don't be afraid to laugh. Don't be afraid to laugh. <laughs> Fuck you, man. What are you doing? That is Why are you doing that? Be funny. At least be funny. If you can be funny about it, then yeah, it's, al yeah. it's alchemy. If you can't be funny about it, it's just like some kind of assault. That's just the way it is, man. I don't know. No, I, we I do like we do. We need the ability for people to experience true freedom of speech, mm -hmm. which is you yep. say something stupid and then like you experience the wrath of either your own mind or other people or whatever. Yeah. But I don't think it at first we shouldn't just pull the rug out from people permanently or imagine that they're like mm -hmm. tainted or evil. Yeah. You know, otherwise there will be no more comedians. There will be no more comedians. Yeah, I agree on that 100%. I guess that's related to um, sometimes you see the same debate when it applies to social media, where, for example, you see things like um, people are always bitching about getting kicked off or suspended or something from Facebook or Twitter or something. And it's like, it's yeah. censorship. This is terrible. And on one end, again, I get it. I mean, I find, especially because most of that stuff is not even done by people, right? They censor you based on, you know, you can put a keyword in there and they decide to give you a 30-day ban. It's taken completely out of context. You are, you know, yeah. you, you have, uh, so some of that stuff I understand is completely dumb. On the other end, I feel like, well, these are private companies that have very specific, their own laws. You decide to break them. Yeah. And then you are pissed because they ban you. It's like, I mean, you can argue that the laws are dumb, but it's not your damn thing. It's like, it's sort of, to me, it's like people whining because they jump into the water while bleeding and then a shark bites them. It's like, well, it's kind of how yeah. it works, you know? It's not all that surprising. And yeah. I, or even worse, yeah. not even uh, a company squash them, where it's just people respond with, fuck you, we hate you, so we're going to boycott your work. What do you expect? Right. Like Looking at the idea of free speech and mm -hmm. recognizing how beautiful an idea it is. Like this is a such an incredible idea because within the idea is a, a, a really uh, optimistic assessment of human beings yes. that ultimately we will find we want the truth. That, w that ultimately the truth will win out and people want to live in the truth and to get there there's no way to get there other than letting like debates happen within which yeah. the the truth emerges and from it both sides benefit it's a very humanist ideal so i think like proponents of like free speech absolutists as they call themselves that's what elon musk calls himself i think within that is a really lo a love of hum humanity like a real deep affection for our species so i think there's something really quite beautiful in it and it's not generally malicious uh to or, or they're you know what i mean or naive i think it's an incre incredible i like it's incredible but yeah the the real art the problem with the really what people are getting confused about is they're confusing freedom of speech issues with what what uh is is oh god i'm trying to think of the philosopher he called it digital sharecropping basically mm -hmm. so um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the big services, they represent kingdoms. And if you decide to build a little farm there and cultivate an audience, grow an audience on someone else's land, 
then you are exactly in the same position as any other sharecropper has been in, you know, in the past. You're on someone else's land. You're making that person money. They're letting you use their land, giving you all the amenities that come with like being protected and having that land. But if they want you off their fucking land, they can kick you off the fucking land. That's just the way it's been. Nothing is, there's, there's nothing new in this situation. Uh, it's digital sharecropping. And, and any one of us who has staked a claim on someone else's platform is vulnerable to getting kicked off to the uh, the business being bought by someone else who has a new set of rules they want to impose yep. and to so the problem where it, to me where it gets really where it, we, we run into a really satanic binary which is what okay so what do you prefer on one side we have businesses that have private businesses that have vested interests in specific types of presidents to get elected in democracies, not just because they agree with their philosophy, but because they know those presidents are gonna give them a fucking break mm -hmm. in some way or another that we probably aren't even aware of. There's a, a real agenda there that is not completely philosophical, but business-minded. Um, and, and they're gonna try to shape public opinion to fulfill to, for the sake of the, their business and what they view as the best way to grow the business, blah, blah, blah. On the other side, uh, you have essentially inviting the state into private businesses okay. to, to force them to display things they don't want to display. Yeah. You know, it's saying like, no, 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 no. You have to let this fucking QAnon asshole go on and on about how Donald Trump is still president and lizards are ruling the world. And even though you fully disagree with that, you have to let him keep saying that for freedom of speech. But the argument against that is, wait, censoring from a private business is speech. Right. So by telling me I can't cultivate my audience, you are taking away my ability to protest, be an activist and, and, and boycott. So, and then, and then the argument against that argument uh, that I've heard is once a place gets to a certain size, yeah. it's not a private business anymore. Right. So, I mean, I, the laws will figure all this out eventually, sure. you know. And yeah. you know, thank God we people like us don't have to fucking bother with this shit, <laughs> other than just get to ramble about it and wonder about it. Most definitely, but I think it's like it keeps popping up. It seems to be one of those discussions that seems to be in a, again. You see it whether you're talking about uh, a comedy show or whether you're talking about uh, uh, people on Twitter being mad about the, you know boycotts. Uh, can, you know the whole cancel culture complaint that we are about nonstop. All that. Uh, I don't know. A lot of that feels very ideological. It feels like people tend to be married to a position and um, we're really not even bothering trying to have a nuance about it because the reality is that those are complicated discussions that are rarely 100% black or white. And uh, when you down, yeah. go down the absolutely strout, whether it's absolutist for good things, like free speech, okay, that's a good thing. But anything that you take to be an absolutist, I'm always sketchy about. Because to me, that means you are sweeping under the rug a lot of gray areas, a lot of things that are not that simple, black and white kind of stuff. And, and in general, sure, I just, yeah. You know, 
it just seemed like a culture that people across the board, uh, even the ones complaining about, oh, everybody loves to play a victim, they do so by trying to play a victim. You know what I mean? It's like it's there's always this thing of like uh, the bad, big bad guys out there who are my ideological enemies. They're out to get me. Poor me. I'm a victim of uh, their censorship and cancel culture. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, man. I just, uh, yeah, the way I grew up is so, you said whatever you want. You expect the fact that if you cross the line or you weren't funny or you said something, it's a two-way yeah. street. Like there's an audience that received the message and how they react. It's up to you to try to predict how they react and say, do I still want to say this thing or not? If I'm going to accept the price that people can get pissed and there are consequences to that, go ahead and say it. If you can't accept the price yeah. or you're crying about, oh, what, you're mad because I said that, it's like, well, yeah, that is your right is to say what you want. Their right is to get mad if they want to get mad. It's kind of how the game works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I this is to me like... Uh, what's really like where capitalism actually uh is is pretty incredible because the elon musk twitter thing you're what you're seeing what happens when there's market pressure yeah. you're seeing how that works in capitalism which is like uh yeah a fucking billionaire decided he wanted to put one percent of his income towards twitter because he likes going on twitter and he doesn't <laughs> want to get censored so he right. went on fucking twitter and he bought it and now twitter's going to change Right. The market changed Twitter. Yeah. There was a, a market pressure where people wanted potentially the ability to have more freedom of speech on Twitter. The state was like, yeah, sorry, we can't do shit. If we yeah. come in and try to regulate Twitter, what like we can go anywhere now. What do we start forcing like, you know, uh, are we going to start forcing like Target to put a picture of Joe Biden? <laughs> on the wall of Target, because right. you know what I mean. What are we right. gonna do here? Like yeah. how? And also, I think people in the government are like, I'm not getting into this shit. Yeah. Like, what? Who decides what's right? I'm. Gonna, we know the president rotates every four fucking years. So even though, yeah, right now it might serve our purpose to yeah. regulate social media. In four years, if, like we might be the ones getting kicked off. Of Fuck course. that. So they left alone, and then Twitter. You know, they came up with their own ethical systems and philosophies whether or not you agree with them or not it's like it's a private fucking business man yeah, yeah, what are you going to yeah. do you're you're we are all truly incredibly vulnerable any of us who have made a business out of like right. our personalities being magnified online like no matter what we're all we're all like in, in danger and yeah. hopefully the movement towards decentralization will go even further than what Elon Musk is doing. And Elon Musk might even use somehow decentralized Twitter, who the fuck knows? Right. For better or for worse, there just might be some blockchain, autonomous, decentralized, popular social media network that no one can censor because no one fucking owns it or runs it. It's run by itself. Yeah, I think, and that's what's funny too, and you hinted at that a minute ago regarding the forces, how capitalism works, is that many people think that whether it was before it was all about Hollywood, now it's about Twitter and Facebook, it's or newspapers or media or whatever, there's always this perception that certain messages get pushed by these specific companies or media platform because of some ideological agenda. It's like, oh, these guys are all, they believe this stuff, yeah. so they're shoving it down our throats. And it's like, 
no, those guys care about one thing and one thing only, which is they need to make money. They need to have people click on yeah. their website. They need to have people read their newspaper. They need to have people watch their movies, whatever that may be. They are not yeah. in the business of losing money to push an ideological agenda. They push certain ideas right. if they believe that the response by the public is worth it money-wise, and they won't push it if the response by the public is not worth it. If they think that there's more backlash than there is to gain, yeah. then they are going to not do it. It's kind of like, I don't know, when was that? Like a few years ago, there was, uh, was it a Gillette commercial? Was it the Razor things? Where I forget what it was, but it was kind of like a thing about... Uh, oh, they are pushing this idea that uh, they are cracking down on toxic masculinity. That's because they are woke and they are trying to push this. Ma- I'm like, why do they do it? Because they think that there's an audience for that, that they want to sell to that audience. It's not yeah. a, an idea thing. It's a money thing. Like all these decisions. Oh, are- right. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, no, the idea like, oh, yeah, you think Gillette's part of some global conspiracy right. to emasculate men shut the fuck up that's not what's happening gillette they, they, no no gillette's reading the room go right. back and look at like all the different like ways the corporations take on some ethical persona that has zero to do with the product yeah you know throughout like the history of ads and it's disgusting and idiotic yeah. and it like they're not doing that because someone at gillette was like god you know i wish my dad had been a little more open with me Let's yeah. change your commercial. They're like, they've got market researchers. They're like, all right, this is what's going to be big for the next few months. To, you know, toxic masculinity. So let's attach Gillette to the idea of like, you know, eradicating toxic masculinity and culture. Yep. And that'll be for a while. And then at some point when the pendulum swings the other fucking way, it'll be some burly ass dude fucking shaving his fucking face while he's like standing on some guy whose ass he just kicked you know it'll be gillette the man is back you know what i mean and then the other side will be like what the fuck gillette i thought you were against time oh my god what and then you know what i mean and then that controversy the people at gillette will be like oh shit we're getting controversy nice do another man is back commercial you know so if you're looking at corporate propaganda yeah. is some kind of litmus test for like some cobble of people trying to do something to the planet i'm sorry you're a fucking idiot <laughs> like go and look at like coca-cola yeah. uh well you know uh the the i'd like to give the world a drink in perfect harmony that was when the hippies were there right and then like they tried to replicate that shit with a protest i think it was pepsi remember it was one of the kardashians tries to give one of the fucking cops a a, a pepsi just complete they didn't they didn't get that one right because it was too obvious and pandering so people are like what the fuck these yeah. cops are killing people. You're not giving them a fucking Pepsi? What the fuck? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, you can just, but it's just looking, uh, corporate propaganda is just like a uh, ultimate pandering. They just want to yeah. attach their product to a social movement. You know, you and can predict what the next commercials are going to be. Yeah, that's what's funny when people, even fairly smart people, think it's, oh, no, it's an ideological thing. It's like, do you know anything about how capitalism works or what corporations are or what they do or what their function is? It's like, 
are you serious? You're taking this shit seriously? You think that the message is actually because they, as you put it, they believe in it. And it's like, it's an entire money game from beginning to end in the gross way. And also yeah. in the way that is not personal or ideological at all. They deliver whatever there's an audience for. It's kind of like, I don't know if you ever read these things. There was, uh, I remember it was so funny back in like Cold War era kind of propaganda when there were like uh, ultra John Birch society kind of people who were saying things like it's the platform of the communist party in the Soviet Union to try to influence yeah. our culture by making, check this out, this is where it gets interesting, by making our teenagers interested in sex. And you're like, I'm sorry, time out. You are saying that certain messages that are coming from Hollywood or something is be- or music is because the Communist Party secretly controlling them and pushing interest in sex, which clearly otherwise teenagers would be completely uninterested in because who would ever care Not about interested sex? at all. And so they never thought about sex before communism. I, I know, it's a communist plot, right? And you're like, what the fuck? But, but you know, today we can look at that stuff and we laugh. But I feel that the way people are approaching most of this discussion when it comes to corporations and free speech and stuff is not that different today. It's still based on this notion of uh, an ideological agency that doesn't really exist when it comes to when it comes to things that are all about money. You know, it's like you don't want sex and violence yeah. on TV. Make something more attractive than sex and violence that people will watch and the network right. will deliver that to death. That's all they will ever give you. It's you got to sell tickets. Got to sell tickets. Bottom line, you got to move those tickets. That's yeah. it. And if you're not selling tickets, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, the or you need to like figure out a way to sell tickets so you're not fucked anymore. Yep. But yeah, man, you can't like if you're like getting all butter over commercials. Guaranteed, I know one thing about you. You're watching too much TV, honey. You need to turn the TV off, motherfucker, and pick and like study some real shit. You know, pick up some Edward Bernays, or you know, look into like what's really going on. Read some fucking Carl Jung, or dive into, dive into the the. the, uh, Guess what? When you're reading your book, you're not gonna see the fucking Gillette commercial where the guy's like trying to defeat toxic masculinity through right. shaving. You're just gonna fucking read like an explanation of what's going on and no one's censoring the book. Right. You can go, you can get a book, go on amazon.com, you find the book, you know, it, it, you, but it's your, that's, this is personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like I can 100% of the time identify when someone's been online too much because right. suddenly, they have strong opinions over shit that they would never even think about yeah. if they were staying offline. Of but course. now they're just like, oh, hung up on like some, whatever the current, you know, drama of the day is, you know, and they have strong opinions of the Chris Rock or Will Smith. I'm yeah. team Rock. I'm team Will Smith or I'm team whatever. I'm team that. Really what you are is you're fucking over over medicated on social media and you have and that's your fault and i i still like you know i can say that because it happens to me yeah i know whenever i find myself taking a shit and i'm about to tweet some bullshit about like my opinions on ukraine or my opinions on some geopolitical event as though i were like an ambassador and it was my responsibility to proclaim some obvious idea to the world like maybe we should kill people i've been online too much time to get offline time to go outside time to read 
that's a perfect segue where I wanted to go, actually. You are, like, leading the serving it on the golden platter. Because that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. It's like, I feel that we all are, I mean, unless you're a monk on a mountain somewhere, we all are bombarded 24-7, primarily through social media, but not only bunch of news about things that are designed to make us scared and outraged because those are the things that sell the most speaking of what you know corporations want to do people click on that stuff because it's a basic bug in human psychology we respond to that right yes because we do that because there's a non-stop source of fear and outrage and our social media is becoming rather than being keeping touch with your friends in a different state is primarily let's post about something that will steer fear and outrage. The question then becomes, yeah. this is shit. This is hard for most of our mental health, our collective mental health, and individually a lot of us yeah. deal with it and are angry way more than they should be by... What are your yeah. antidotes on a personal level? Like, what do you do? Because, of course, you do use social media. You are not a monk uh, out yeah. somewhere what what do you feed yourself mentally to try to detox yeah. from all the fear and outrage to try to feel good okay. about life to try simple. to keep your mental health simple i figured it out and it's so obvious i'm sorry this is the dumbest most obvious thing but i think some people just don't do this use your mute button man okay. like if if like so because so here's here's at least my current analysis of the thing is that uh there's a lot of people right now who are being paid to tweet by various groups, corporations, mm -hmm. state, state, you know, state-sponsored propaganda machines, pub publicists, whatever. And these people are really fully aware of the uh, so humans forget where they got their information from but they remember the information. So um, they're aware of this and they understand that like, the, and they know with frightening um, detail how people consume social media. So I think they recognize there's a kind of stroboscopic subliminal effect where if you are over and over and over again tweeting some shit that is being, that is designed to manipulate or change the public discourse or whatever, uh, that people, even though they might not agree with you, as they're scrolling through, if they if they see it again and again and again and again and again, they will begin to develop a strong opinion one way or the other about the thing. And so in that, you control them. So it's like the control isn't so much moving their opinion to where you want it to be, though that's probably great. Actually, the control is making a person have an opinion. So if you can make a person have an opinion about a thing, that makes the thing that much more crystallized and real. And in that crystallization, the brand thrives. So uh, what you need to do is have some hygiene. And I think in the future, there's going to be more people will understand more and more about this. But for now, because people do not legally have to say if they're being paid by the state or by some group or a think tank or whatever the fuck, meaning they can fully camouflage themselves tweet some shit as though it's just one of us, uh, that means it's up to us to differentiate those people from the rest. And the moment you realize someone is tweeting a centralized message 
whatever it may be over and over and over and over again that you follow in a, in a way that's obsessive, mute them because that is someone getting paid. Mm -hmm. And so what if they're not? Maybe they're just some fucking person who's online too much. They'll get into your head. So for me, what I do is I just mute. Like if I start getting like, cause I do go on Twitter too much and I do go on Instagram too much, but if I start getting all fucking weird, start dreaming about like international conflicts or start like find myself all of a sudden, like, like in a heated conversation with my wife over some geopolitical shit, then I'll think, okay, wait a minute. Where am I getting this information from? Yeah. Who is informing my opinions? And so that for me, that means no more news. I don't watch news, turn off the fucking news and then go through my timeline and sure as shit, every single time I realize, oh, motherfuck. It's that per I've been following this, per I followed that person yeah. and they've just been nonstop stroboscopically tweeting crazy shit yeah. that is political in nature and it's clearly propaganda. So just mute, 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 mute all the way down until your timeline becomes like just completely non-political or non-whatever. And then it, it's, it's actually insane how, 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 at least for me, suddenly my strong opinions about this thing or that thing will just melt away. <laughs> and I'll be back to like thinking about Elden Ring and Hearthstone and nice. my podcast and making yes. music. Yes, I love that. Yeah, it's, uh, I think you had a line at some point. I don't think I heard it when you said it, but somebody posted it and I used it 10,000 times. It was something along the lines of, uh, some poor phoneless fool is sitting by a waterfall, yeah. not aware of how scared and outraged they are supposed to be, or something like that. I forget the exact verbiage, but that was, yeah. it was so perfect because I was like, yep, that's it. I got memed. Yeah. yeah. You know, you made it funny yeah. and it was a great joke, but it was also deeply profound. It was like, yeah, no, that's 100% correct. That's exactly where we're at. You know, yeah. there's uh, Well, it's like, yeah, it's like, why, why are my teeth. Like, imagine if we were like your teeth is, are falling out yeah. and you're getting sick and, 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 and like every day you're picking up a small cube of plutonium. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're just putting the, just picking the plutonium up, picking the yeah. plutonium up, picking the plutonium up. You're going to get radiation poisoning. Right. And so I think what we're seeing is a new form of radiation poisoning. It's data radiation. It's irradiated propaganda that is making people mentally ill uh, and addicted. Yeah. Hundred percent. I find, uh, you know, there are lots of conversations that if I want to have them, I try to have those with people I care about who are close to me and have them face to face. And most of the time, when I'm about to go online, I'm like, eh, Do I really? Is, where is this conversation gonna go? It's like there, half of the people are not gonna understand where I'm coming from. They are gonna come from with their ideological bias. They. Why do I want to do it? You know, can I, let's just post about puppies. Yeah. You know, puppies are cool. Puppies are fun. Yeah. Or let's post about something yeah. that is as a high percentage where 95% of people reading it are going to have a response that's more about something that can help their lives or something that can bring them a smile or something sure. that is more likely to have a positive impact than me trying to argue my position on a controversial issue where realistically, no matter how well I express it, I'm going to lose at least half of the, of the people and piss them off and make their day worse. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm not saying never do it. There are the things that maybe you really strongly care about. And so once in a rare while, sure. there, 
and you know that that's what's going to happen and you choose to go there anyway. Sure. But once in a rare while, you know what I mean? It's like over what I, yeah, man. I started clicking on puppy videos. My life got a lot better. I start uh, every day. It's I see, amazing, oh, isn't it? Funny little furry fuck how he tumbled down the hill. That was hilarious. That's funny. And look how happy he is now. It's like, it brings a smile to me. I'm like, now it made my day 0.1% better. That goes a long way, man. <clears throat> we need it. We need it badly at a time yeah. when our collective mental health is not the greatest it has ever been. And, you know, I'm actually, you know, I'm in a pretty yeah. good like I've been going through a good period. I feel great. I like where I live. I feel so. I don't have a personal complaint on this. I feel like fuck. I'm at the edge here. I'm losing it. But just I feel in general the how I feel when I engage with social media in a certain way versus a different way. I see other people how they are responding to things. Yeah. And, and you know, it's clearly a concern. It's clearly something because at the end of the day, you got to. There are twenty-four hours in a day, and you have to figure out how do I want to feel them, how do I want to spend my time, what do I want to yes. bring, what do I want to contribute and bring to the table. And those are big choices. They don't feel like yeah. they are big choices, but they are because they will affect your mood. They big. will affect a bunch of other people's mood. You know, if you are the one dropping plutonium yeah. along the way, you're not doing yourself a favor, and even less you're doing a favor to the people who are reading a hundred percent man and it's personal responsibility you know so we have to recognize social media is a drug as much as any other drug and and like you know you need to whatever the particular data lines you're snorting you know you better know the source you better know like uh the source of whatever you're getting high off of i mean it applies to everything um but social media too, man. Yeah, I think it's personal responsibility right now. Eventually, there will be regulations in place mm -hmm. that don't censor people, but maybe force uh, people to acknowledge they're being paid to tweet, right. no matter what for. Like, yeah. I think that needs to be a law. Like, we're not going to censor you, but if, you know, fucking some government or whatever is paying you in any way... Sure. Whether it's like directly paying you or giving you some privilege or giving you should have to announce that just so we know when I'm looking at it. Oh, you're a fucking shell. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah. You don't like I don't even know if you believe this or not. You're just getting like fucking money in your bank for this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's your job. And I was thinking you were like some philosopher or something. <laughs> That's all. No, not how it works. Definitely. Well, speaking of uh, real life and um, where are you at these days? I don't mean physically. I mean like How's your life playing out? Where do you see, like, what do you, yeah. you happy? You're not happy? Where do you see it going? What do you want to do? I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm like moving, like we're moving back to LA. We're trying to buy a house in LA and to like make enough money to buy a house in LA. I'm going on the road a lot and, yeah. um, uh, which is, I love. But the combo of going on the road and trying to find a new house, and it's like I'm a little displaced right now. Of course. So I'm, um, you know, and also going on the road. Like, so, like, it's not just that I'm going on the road, it's that, just, like, some of these trips, I've after I've done the shows, I'll go to LA to look at houses. So that's a lot of time away from my kids. Yeah. And I don't like that yeah. because it makes everything imbalanced and shit. Like, you know, so I'm like, uh, I don't know. 
I'm figuring out how to find balance. I'm doing good though, man. I'm doing good. Like I'm, uh, all things, you know, all my problems are incredible problems. And I'm as a discipline reminding myself of that every day. Like you get to buy a fucking house, man. That's pretty yeah. great. You should be, that's incredible. You know? So I just, I have to, I, I remind myself that all these like 10 years ago, the problems I'm having would, I would be like, Oh my fucking God. This is amazing. So that doesn't change though the stress of like a move. And thank God my wife is the is the earthbound for one of us. Like she is like very organized and very meticulous and thank God. So we we have a nice balance there. You mean you're not the most organized, meticulous person in the world? That kind of <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I would float into the fucking moon. I would float if I, I like, so I, 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 I like to make stuff, man. I love to, I just, you know, I've been spending all day making a song from a fucking obnoxious, truly a listing for my, um, podcast that's what i like to do i just want to make stuff i don't like scheduling i don't like meetings i just want to make things and that's it and that is not you can't live like that like you have to yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. you know pay bills and all this boring shit that's just is like what the fuck this is the demiurge man why are you making me fucking bow down to your goddamn bills and charts and forms fuck you matter <laughs> I was about to put your nickname <laughs> on my phone as uh, Duncan Meticulous Trassel. I guess I'll have to uh, revive my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I forget how old I am. That's like, funny. Man. You know, like, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I, yeah. So, you know, it's nice to have a partner who is yeah. able to handle all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it's a good yeah. balance because... You know, if you like, if you are making stuff, I think you need uninterrupted hours. I think you need time to yep. develop your idea and like evolve it uh, where you're not like also filling out health insurance documents. Mm -hmm. You know, I, like, I think you need that space. 100%. 100%. Why LA? What makes you come back to LA and why LA in specific versus uh, like what's the attraction there, you think? Yeah. Well, I lived there for 17 years yeah. and I, I fell into a, a, the same kind of trap that I, a lot of people in LA fall into, which is, I think they live, if you live in LA long enough, you'll just take it for granted. Mm -hmm. And you know, the traffic sucks. Fuck the traffic. Yeah. And you forget all the other stuff that's awesome there. Uh, specific. And also my friend, you know, I know you moved away from there, but like a lot of my friends are there mm -hmm. and the business that I love is still rooted there. I mean, that's where it is. And, right. um, uh, I lived there longer than I, like I, when we moved for the pandemic, we moved back to where I grew up and it's like, I, I realized I fuck, I lived in LA longer than anywhere else. It's home to me Yeah. for all it's like problems and everything, you know? So yeah, I, I, I had this, uh, like, um, uh, really fucked up epiphany where I realized I came here to like kind of like mourn my mom's death and I was doing it subconsciously like going back here I'll find my mom you know that like yeah. that kind of crazy grief thinking that you don't even know that's what you're doing yeah. and then like I I remember one day going into an almost a fugue state driving to my where my mom used to live going all the way down this gravel road to the driveway mm -hmm. 
looking down the driveway, seeing someone else on the porch. And just, it was like this incredible moment of like, oh, yeah, holy shit. There's no going back home. She's not here. <laughs> Your mom's dead, friend. She's yeah. not here. She's everywhere now, but she's not there. She's not at this house. And yep. and, and guess what? The, the All this stuff that I was all sentimental about, it's gone too. You know, and then that's when all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, this is grief. The decision to come out here was at least partially informed by subconscious grief, which was a really intense moment. And so, and then after that, we were like, oh yeah, let's go back to LA. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. hundred percent, both, both ways, both the fact that you would have that kind of cool home, so to speak. And then that you go like, okay, that's gone. Let me go back to what I know. I think like for me, I don't know. I like being Gone. just out of LA. Like I, I, me too. I've lived in LA a really long ass time. Being out of it though, just enough that I'm within striking distance so that if I want to go there and meet people, yeah. I can, I can still do that. But being a bit out of the insane noise, traffic, running into stuff every three seconds, feels pretty good. Feels nice to have something a little more mellow with the option. Cause that's the problem. Yeah. And there's that dichotomy is like, do you want to live in a cabin in Montana and end up like the Unabomber or you want to be in the middle of non-stop <laughs> noise day 24-7, yeah. the heart of LA? It's like, I don't want either. You know, I like to have the option of the big city is great for a lot of things, but being there 24-7 sometimes gets old. So having a little space out feels nice, feels... So that's kind of where I'm Fuck at right yeah. now, and I and I like it. I like to have that balance where I feel it's uh, healthy. I don't have to make a choice, these or that. I get to have these and that, and I feel that it's more yes, kind of in line with my overall philosophy, right? I don't want to have to choose between black and white. I want to take the best of difference. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, where you live is really beautiful. I mean, that's an incredible spot, man. And a lot of my friends have moved there. Yeah, you know, and what's fascinating about L.A. is like, you know, just looking at houses and stuff, like all of a sudden you're in a place that you never knew existed that oh, yeah. might as well be another, a completely another city or another universe yeah. compared to the one I I lived in in L.A. Or there's just so many weird little enclaves in L.A. where you can find, like, Jesus, we went and looked at this, pl I looked at this place in Topanga, mm -hmm. just in the like on top of Topanga Canyon there's a fucking llama yeah. it's so quiet quieter yeah. than here in Asheville just like yeah. eerily quiet hawks in the air you wouldn't know you were in fucking LA and then you go yeah. winding down the road and there you are in the thick of it so we're trying to find a place like that you know Perfect. that's sort of you know and you can find that we can you yeah. can, there, that does exist in LA you don't I mean I lived on the east side my most of the time I was right. in LA and that's like deep in the fucking yeah. thick of the city that's no topanga is fantastic i agree i think like this whole speech was my very subtle attempt to say come on duncan become my neighbor move out here so i was just slyly trying to subconsciously influence you and we thought about tomorrow it. morning you wake up and you go like huh i think i want to move to i i don't know how this thought came into my head but i feel that so um that was just no, don't no, no, not gonna happen. We did it, man. That's what I was doing. <laughs> we did it. We tried it. You know, yeah. you know, we got kids also. It's like, you know, we want it we want them to be like we found a really great school for them. So, nice. you know, we're like nice. there's a 
there's a lot of, of consideration. That's what I like about having kids, man. There's, yeah. It's not about you anymore. There's all kinds of like can, limiting factors that like oh, yeah. help guide you. You know, when it's just about you, you can just drift. Yeah, you can and do whatever you just want. Just drift yeah. and I, yeah. But yeah, yeah I get your decision though, man. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a tricky one too. It's interesting to me. It's like I was reading somewhere recently that uh, some articles saying that generally speaking, they were finding, and I don't know how accurate this uh, whole study was, but basically they were doing a study showing that on average, people without kids tended to be happier than people with kids, which on one hand is so counterintuitive because kids bring you you know, they are your kids. They are fantastic. They can bring you so much happiness, so much purpose, so much everything, right? Sure. But yeah, at the same time, there are clearly a lot of people who have kids who don't necessarily regret it. They are not like the horrible parents who beat their kids and run off to get drunk and leave them alone. But at the same time, there's an element where all the, the amount of things that making that choice will influence and the way it's going to limit your choices clearly start grinding on them and start uh, you know they still are happy they did it but they're on the other side there's an overall happiness that's getting chipped away and that's how i think it's interesting like for anybody wanting to have kids is uh, you shouldn't do it because it's a societal duty you shouldn't do it because somehow your mom told you that they want grandkids or something yeah you should really think about who you are, your lifestyle, how you handle kids. Like, be around kids for a while. See your friends' kids. Yeah. How you deal with them if you have to stay with them for longer than an hour. And deal with their moods and their ups and their downs. Because, And again, it's not a bad thing. They're, fun, they're so much fantastic thing. Like, I wouldn't give... Like, the relationship I have with my daughter is like... Doesn't... Like, I cannot imagine anything in the world that i would trade for that you know what i mean so i think for some people it works great and it's the perfect choice but i think it's it's so much as being taught as default that that's what you are supposed to do that that's what you should do and i don't really think yeah. that it's a great choice for everybody to make at, especially at certain points in their life because because uh, you're right you know there Man, are Man, look a hundred percent don't have kids if you don't want to have fucking kids. Are you out of your mind? What are you doing? Yep. You have kids because you want to have kids. You don't have kids out of some like vague sense that you should. You have kids because you meet somebody and the universe just yep. fucking suctions you into becoming a parent. Not because you're like in some like, ah, maybe I'll have kids as an experiment or something. Yeah, it's no, fine. I mean, uh, like, I'm at that age. I need to have a kid now. Yeah, fuck that. This happiness bullshit. It's like. Oh God! I think it's Chogim Trumpet Rinpoche is talking about this, like the dream of this room. There's a room. People want to go into a room, shut the door. It's completely quiet, and they have control over every aspect of this room. They can be at peace. They think this is where I'll find peace because yeah. I will be controlling all these variables, and I have all the space now. This is actually my meditation teacher. I remember one of the first conversations we had before I even knew he was like. Uh, uh, Chogyam Trumpet Rinpoche was a, a dear student of this like enlightened being and I was telling him you know I'm someone who needs a lot of space and he goes what space <laughs> and I never really thought about it I was like oh yeah. fuck I don't know I mean I need and really what I, what I needed was control yeah. what I wanted was to be my own little tyrant emperor in my own little safe little fucking cocoon where yeah. I could do all the shit that I wanted to jerk off, fucking do drugs, 
fuck whoever I want, do whatever I want, wake right. up whenever I fucking want. And because the idea was this is what's going to make you happy. Right. This should make you happy, right? But does it really? Come on. Does it really? I mean, I'm talking about after month three, yeah, yeah, month seven, month yeah. nine. I'm talking about when you're like, you've just like really gone for it, man. You've gone through four different benders, fucked 18 people, right. really fucking just done. Oh, and then at the end, where are you? What's going on with you? Yeah. Are you happy? Oh, you're happy, aren't you? Yeah, man, I'm happy. That's not, is that happy? I don't know. I mean, that's the, right. I, I can't, I, for, for me, like, I can't really put my finger on a time in my past where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. I found happiness. I might have been mo at moments sure, where course. it's like, my God, this is incredible. Yeah. But those moments are generally followed by all kinds of emotions and feelings that sure. I wouldn't sure. define as happy. But then how is it that I'm fucking making pancakes? It, how is it that I'm, these two, a this little beautiful thing is demanding pancakes. Yeah. Like, you know, like saying like, what will you make me today? Right. <laughs> like, what do you want? Pancakes. <laughs> and I'm making, I'm, you know, how is it that the, you wake up to the sound of a little voice in the other, uh, in the other room scre screaming yeah. as though like they're being eaten. It's 630. Like, it's like, oh, motherfucker. Really, man? Yes. You, you know what I mean? Like, like you go in there and like there's this beautiful thing and then you you could carry this kid downstairs and ask why did you get up so early yeah and they're like well because i was excited you said last night you'd make me grits and you're like are you kidding you're screaming like you're being attacked that's you what you don't say that to them but then Sure. Why is it that that experience, as yeah. completely inconvenient as it may be, is like makes me as happy sure. as like on just the right amount of acid at Burning Man? <laughs> Why? I don't. You know what I mean? Why? Why? It doesn't make sense when I'm looking at my kids eating at the table and they're fucking covered in food, right? And they're eating and laughing. What I don't know. I've never experienced anything like that before. It's not there all the fucking time. Of course. Of course. Sometimes I'm just like, what have I did? What yeah. have I done? Of course. I could be doing rails of ketamine. Yes. Playing God of War in some little <laughs> fucking palace of sex in LA. You know what I mean? But I tried. I I tried right. that. Yeah. yeah and it yeah, just yeah, doesn't yeah. compare to making fucking pancakes for my kids. And I mean that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, may, that that being a parent is e is easier. No, of course not. You're, yeah. you know, the, the other way was way easier. The other way was way easier. Yeah. But easier, I don't know if that equals happy. I had uh, I realized that my dog doesn't allow me to lie to myself because I had a few days where I had what you are describing, <laughs> where it was video games all day, fuck it all, I don't wanna eat, take out, do this yeah. and that. And I was in this pure indulgence mode. So my uh, my girlfriend wasn't here, my daughter wasn't here, it was just me and the dog, right? And the dog, the first day, is all excited and happy. And I see each day, his mood started declining more and more. By the end, he was pretty much looking yeah. for hope to hang himself. And I'm like, come on, man, you are the happiest dog on earth. You have been with me for four days alone. Why do you want to kill yourself now? And honestly, I thought the dog was sick, right? And then, like, they came back, and the dog went like, 
when became again the happiest one on earth and i was like holy shit four dogs with me alone in my self-indulgence mode and i nearly killed you i broke the dog so i was like yeah i think yeah man vibe that i was passing out that was not the greatest uh the greatest thing ever that the dog picked up on and uh creepy you know i yeah it just it's not when i go on the road and i get to be in a nice hotel room and like watch forensic files and play video games on my computer and jerk off and like just indulge myself, get room service. It's great. Day one, day two, it's this is pretty fuck catch up on sleep. Yeah. Oh my God. But then day three, it's just like, ugh, I don't wanna do this anymore. Yeah. But you, I think as a parent, you should figure out a way to carve out that time, even if it seems like, like impossible, mm-hmm. because otherwise you'll start fantasizing oh, yeah. that you'll start thinking back like my god those were the days yep. go get go get those give your partner those days if you can if Absolutely. you get the sense they're looking for give them a week of those days yep. it's and I, I if i had to bet i think about day 3 into there they'll realize oh i was yeah. i was like really kind of looking i i was reframing what my life before this was like as being something it really wasn't is that you know i i that would be my guess you know um, but that being said, if you don't like, there's, there's something really quite beautiful about not having kids, and yeah. something awesome about being that kind of monastic hedonist or whatever you want to call it. You know, whatever you're doing, the nomadic person being alone. That's actually a really beautiful way to live. It, you know, it's just is. that's your karma. You know, we have different karma. Yeah, that's why it's good. It's about knowing yourself. You know, it's not that one model is good or bad. It's really about. You should know yourself. We should know what fulfills you at the deeper level, what uh, makes you really yes. feel good deep down in a lasting kind of way. Speaking of, by the way, being on the road, yes. uh, I, an image, I got like an old uh, photo that popped up on my timeline of like when we were doing live podcasting. I think we went to Wisconsin and I forgot where the hell That was we fucking fun. It was fun, man. I remember being on the plane with you and you being all pissed off because you were playing this video game where you were a virus and you were trying to infect all of humanity and uh, you had failed. And uh, they, I remember that game. Contain you and you didn't kill everybody on Earth and you were so upset. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, was I remember that game was really fun. Pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, and fun game. That's not when, fun uh, anymore. No, it's like not so funny anymore. But it was epic, man. Yeah, at some point, you know, fuck it, let's do that again. Let's do a live pod. That would be fun. I would love to. I enjoyed. That. Remember, we only we did should. a It was so fun. So that was that was great. But uh, it was so fun. Yeah. yeah, that was a. We will do it again. I mean, I, I, I intend on doing some live podcasts out there. Of, you know, eventually after I get my hour of stand up together. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Cool, my man. Well, you are the man. Thank you so much for the conversation, as always. I love you. Thank you for having me. It's so nice. I can't wait to, you know, once I get back there, you're a, a lot of my friends are in Ohio. And I'm going to, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, so we will come, we'll bring the kids, man. We should all just have there's a party. A, there's there a sauna in the backyard with your name on it. Let's go sweat. Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Dives Podcast. What a fine episode it was. 
Well, you know, you guys survived another one. What kind of technology you were uh, using there? That's crazy. It's uh, yeah, because usually when you record remotely, it's painful because recording through Zoom, the audio quality drops significantly. Uh, Duncan has some strange cosmic hookup. I think he pays a good chunk of money for it, but that makes the whole recording quality infinitely better if you record uh, remotely on a regular basis. I don't, we don't do it enough to make it worth it, and we are poor. But uh, <laughs> but other than that, you know, so yeah, makes the audio quality way better. Well, we got the pictures too, so we'll have to put that up on YouTube. So yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's put faces. Uh, YouTube. Uh, I was cranky today. I look like I survived a plane crash. I was looking at the <laughs> images. I was like, damn, I did not look happy that morning when we recorded. But uh, time's a cruel mistress. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, behave. That's how they do it. Switch. Switch. D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Good shit. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. Completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're right? outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> sorry. Well. <coughs> We'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's a bit too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. <laughs>